to invite everyone to stand and worship with us. I'm excited. Let's celebrate the Lord and all that he's done. Sing this with me. With this heart open wide from the depths, from the heights, I will bring a sacrifice. With these hands, with these hands, lifted high, hear my song, hear my cry, I will bring a sacrifice I will bring a sacrifice I lay me down Giving up all my rights, take this life and let it shine, shine, shine. Take this life and let it shine. Sing us out to him. It won't be my joy to say your will, your way. It won't be my joy to say your will, your way. It won't be my joy to say your will, your way, always. Let me hear your voice. It will be my joy to say your will, your way. It will be my joy to say your will, your way. It will be my joy to say your will, your way, always. It's true, there's no life 
We're just giving an offering of praise to him this morning.
So this morning, I just want everyone just to to stop and just focus on God. We can get distracted by so many things. I know I, for one, have a horrible struggle with that. And we let life just get in the way of just our relationship with Christ. To the point where we try to fight our own battles. And we don't have to do that. He does the work for us. I just want to encourage that this morning that y'all just lay everything down to him. You're never gonna let me down You're 
church. How's everyone doing? Amen. Did you ever have one of those days or maybe one of those weeks where you just feel like, man, I'm glad that one's over. It's busy. It's crazy, overwhelming, just stuff going on. I felt like I had one of those weeks uh, this week. Yesterday was a crazy, busy day. And so I say that because I am 
Glad to be here on Sunday where the focus is not on everybody else, on what they demand of us sometimes, but we come here, and hopefully we come in with the right frame of mind. We say, I'm here because I want to worship God, because he's worthy of our worship, amen, and I want to hear from his word. And so um, I believe that God speaks through his word still today, and uh, you know, I don't take this role as a pastor lightly. Uh, there's some of the messages that we teach that are encouraging, man. You're like, man, I walked out of encouraged. There's some of them we get our toes stepped on. There are some of them that are like warning in nature, like, hey, I just want to let you know I love you and I care about you, and you need to know this. And I feel like that's the, the mood behind today's uh, message as we go into this uh, second week of the, the series on Esther called For Such a Time as This. David and I took a, a little trip a few weeks back, a little, a little over a month ago, and we're praying for the church, and we're praying for, you know, just direction and uh, sermon prep, and I just felt God impress on my heart um, that, that, that just that one phrase kept coming back to me in Esther's story, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. And we covered last week some of that. I don't want to go too much into it now, but um, just the big idea yesterday or last week was that God is involved in his creation. Do you believe that? Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. God is involved in creation. He's not laying up in a hammock in heaven, just letting everything happen the way. He's working. And he even uses some people that you might like, well, what about Judas? He used Judas. He didn't make him bad, but he used his badness, pardon the grammar, um, for his will to fulfill and accomplish his purposes. And so last week we looked at this idea that God is in control and God uses people. God's been using people all throughout Scripture. And we believe that is still true. If God is in control and God uses people, the question I asked us last week is, what is our role? Have you ever thought about that? You know, why are we here right now? Why do I live in 2020? Why am I pastor of a church? Why are we here during all the crazy that's going on in the world today? You might go back and you know, talk to a, your grandparents, and they're like, man, it wasn't, wasn't this crazy. They had things to deal with, but it feels like it is on a whole nother level today, Right? You ever thought about why am I here? What's my role in all of this? Um, and so today, I want to kind of transition a little bit. The, the, the title of the message is, The Line Has Been Drawn. And I want to look at the story. Now, I'm in Esther chapter 3, and we're going to read the first six verses. And there's one big question that comes up to me when I read this story. And of course, you read the whole story, and you, you know the big story. You kind of get a glimpse of... Uh, the answer to this question, uh, but I want to look into that for just a second. So let's look at Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Sometime later, King Xerxes, the grandson of Cyrus the Great, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite. Let me just tell you right now, though, that is not the correct pronunciation for those names. Um, we're from Texas, and we do what we want to, right? Uh, but it's actually um, Haman, some of Hamdata, and Agagi. We're going to stick with the way we do it, right? Haman, is that all right? All right, so Haman is elevated. Haman the Agagite, or Agagi, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. Next to the king, it's Haman. It says, all the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. So now it's a command, everybody bow when Haman walks by. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate 
Mordecai's conduct. I mean, what's he going to do, Haman? Mordecai won't bow. He won't listen to the king's order. What are you going to do? It says, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. So he tells all the officials, hey, I'm a Jew. I'm not bowing to Haman. So it says in verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. Have you ever been filled with rage? I have, but not like this. Listen to what it says. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all, say all, he, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. That's a whole other level of rage, isn't it? So the big question that I mentioned a while ago that I ask when I read this text is, why? I mean, what would make someone like Haman be in that much rage over the disobedience of one person? And why the response? I mean, don't you think that's a little overkill? Uh, no pun intended. When you consider what Haman is doing, he says it wasn't enough to get Mordecai alone because Mordecai wouldn't bow, but he decided he's going to take out all of the Jews. Now, remember from last week, we talked about the empire um, that, that was uh, King Xerxes' empire all in Persia, and this is after uh, the, the children of Israel were sent into exile, the Babylon captivity, you know, the 70 years of captivity. And then a new king, King Cyrus the Great, um, is on the throne. He's the Persian king, and he allows the Jews to return to their homeland. What a great, great time that was through um, Nehemiah and Ezra. They led the children of Israel back to the promised land, rebuild the temple that was destroyed, rebuild the walls around the city, but not all the Jews went home. Many of the Jews stayed in their captive land, and so all of this is taking place in Persia, which is today, modern-day Iran, and there are many Jews in Iran during this time. And so this King Xerxes is in his empire there. I mean, Haman is, you know, this very powerful official that everybody has to bow. Mordecai doesn't bow, ticks off Haman. And he don't want to get Mordecai alone, but he wants to get all the Jews, all the way from Iran, modern day Persia, right? All the way back to the homeland in Jerusalem, Israel. He wants to take them all out. Would you say that's a little excessive? So the question is why? Why would Haman later recognized five different times in this book of Esther as the enemy of the Jews? Why would Haman do that? Well, let's look at his name first, Haman, uh, the Agagiter, Agagi. Um, just to give you a quick background, uh, he was a descendant of King Agag, or Agag. If you, you research that and you go back to 1 Samuel 15, you'll know that the Amalekites were a very wicked people. I mean, they were into child sacrifice and idol worship. It just got so bad that the holy God and the just God, that means he's fair in his judgment, looks down and he says, those people are so wicked, it's time for them to be wiped off the face of the earth. So, King Saul, I want you to go wipe out the Amalekites. Don't leave anybody alive. And if you remember the story, um, King Saul goes out, and instead of killing everything, he brings back the best goats, the best sheep, the best cows, and, and he captures King Agag alive and brings him back. You remember the story? Samuel, the prophet, goes to King Saul, and King Saul is proud of himself because he, he did what he was told to do, or did he? He says, I've been obedient to the Lord. And then Samuel says, then what is that bleeding of sheep in my ears? Why do I hear animals? If you were obedient, you were told to destroy everything. 
And so he captured King Agag alive, and Samuel goes to the king, and he slaughters him. He gets rid of him because that was an accursed people. God said, wipe them out. I'm done with them. Deal with them. Just annihilate them, right? Sounds kind of, ooh, Old Testament stuff. But just keep in mind, God is a holy and righteous and just God and a patient God. He gave them plenty of time, and their wickedness had reached an ultimate level, and he said it is time. So King Agag, King Agag was an Amalekite, and the Malachites were descendants of this man named Amalek. Amalek is a descendant of Esau. Now we're back to Jacob and Esau, right? The twin brothers of Rebekah. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. Are you following me yet, church? So Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob would be the one that God chose as the nation of Israel. I mean, he's going to bless Jacob's descendants, and he's going to put his promise there. And so the Bible says in Genesis, I think it's 25 or 28, that there are two nations at war with one another in your womb. Moms, how would you like that set of twins? There's two nations that are just fighting each other. And so that's kind of the history between the Jewish people and even this man named Haman, the Agagite, is it goes way, way back. There's just this battle between two nations on and on and on and on. So you can kind of see why Mordecai, knowing his history, and Haman, knowing his history, would say, oh, there's some great tension between Jewish people and Malachite people. And so naturally, Mordecai would say, I'm not bowing. I'm a Jew, I follow God, and I'm not going to bow to a cursed people and a Malachite. Mm -mm, ain't doing it. And Haman would know that because he was a Jewish person, he would hate it. And he would target him, and not only him, but everyone else. And so to this day, the Jewish people have two things. Number one is they have this thing called, uh, I think it's the, the Feast of Purim. Purim is the Hebrew for lots. What that means is, you know, Haman casts lots to see what day they should go annihilate all the people. And they chose March the 7th on our calendar is this big day that they're going to wipe out all of the Jews. We talked about that last week. So today, to this day, they still celebrate that Feast of Purim because that was the time that God showed up on their behalf in a crazy way, and so they still celebrate that to this day. Another thing that the Jewish people always knew is Haman, even though he was an evil person, he was a symbol of a greater evil. Now, last week we talked about the fact that God uses people, amen? God uses people. Can I just give you another truth? So does Satan, right? We've seen some wicked people in our history, in our lifetime, and we're going, man, that is a wicked individual. But can I just tell you, this is like God uses people. Satan also influences and uses people. And so we see Haman as just like the puppet, if you will, and all that evil, he's just the puppet of a greater, greater evil, one that has been going on for ages and ages and ages. A line has been drawn, but that line has been drawn a long time ago. And so God's word gives us a little glimpse of Satan. You know, Satan was a created being, an angelic being. He's more beautiful than anyone else. He was very powerful, and he got proud of himself. And he wanted to elevate himself up to the point where he wanted to be like the Most High God. Listen to what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 and 17 says, or through to 17, says, You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. So I banished you 
in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from the place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Again, in Isaiah chapter 14, also speaking of Satan, it says, For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I'm going to ascend to heaven and I'm going to set my throne way up above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. And so you see this line is drawn way, way, way back. This line between good and evil. And you have God, this God who's worthy of all glory, this God who's worthy of all praise. And then you have this created angelic being that got full of himself and he says, you know what, I'm gonna, I don't like God getting all the glory. I want to get some of that glory for myself. So I'm going to ascend uh, above the heavens, and I'm going to set my throne above the stars, and I'm going to be like the most high God. And so he was cast out. And can I just tell you, there has been a cosmic battle going on from that moment forward. We call it spiritual warfare. Do you believe church in spiritual warfare? There's an enemy. It's an invisible war. He's a formidable foe. But let me just tell you what he can't do. He can't defeat God. Amen? Read Revelation, the end of the book. We win. So he can't defeat God, but listen, what he does is because he can't defeat God, he's going to go after those that are created in his image. So mankind is created in the image of God, and the Jews, back in the story of Esther, the Jews were God's chosen people, they're covenant people. God had a covenant with them. He's like, they're special to me. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. We're like this, right? And so Satan hates that, and because he can't get to God, he's like, you know what, I'm going to go after his people. And have we not seen throughout all of history the many, many, many times the Jewish people have been targeted? I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. a few years ago, a couple years ago, and we walked through uh, the, the museum of the Holocaust. The Holocaust Museum is a very sad, there's just silence the whole time we were in there, just realizing how could that have happened? That much evil destroyed that many people. I just want you to know, church, that God's people, his covenant people, have been targeted from the very beginning, and they're still being even targeted today, right? You're thinking, what is so special about this little bitty, this little bitty piece of land in the Middle East over there called Israel that has everybody aiming their guns and their missiles at all the time? Why? Because of who they're connected to. It's because of whose they are. Amen? They're God's covenant people. It's a covenant relationship, and, and so this enemy, this line between good and evil, this, this thing goes way, way back to when Satan was cast out of heaven. He wants the glory of God for himself. It's a battle for God's glory. And so he's like, you know what? I can't take out God, but I'm going to target his people. And he hates the Jewish people, and I think that's what we see behind the story of Haman. He's a symbol of evil. Satan began to desire for himself the honor and glory that belonged only to God. And so we ask the question, why? Why would Haman go to that extent over just one person not bowing? I think the, the answer of why is because he was being used, he was being influenced by none other than Satan. So the Jews, as I said, were God's covenant people. They're his chosen people. They're created in God's image. And because Satan can't go after God, he, he goes after God's creation. And so the line has been drawn between good and evil. There's an age-old battle for the glory of God. And so this, I transition for a moment to today, here, and now. 
I believe, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus, we become children of God. Aren't you glad when you place your faith in Christ, he says, hey, you're my child. We're also covenant people of God. New covenant, aren't you glad for the New Testament? We are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that we can't brag about it. But once you say, Lord Jesus, I trust you for salvation, and I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you too are a covenant people of God. And this age-old battle, this line that's been drawn between good and evil, now applies to you and me as well. And so, yes, we are in a spiritual battle. And as I said last week, I mean, what's my role? I believe that as followers of Jesus Christ, we must say must. It's like not, not if you're just having a down day and you're bored and you want to think about it, must, but no, imperative, we must recognize our role as soldiers in the battle between good and evil. You ever thought about that? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What does that mean to you? Well, it means I'm not going to go to hell when I die. That's cool, right? It means I'm, I'm saved. It means I have the Holy Spirit in me that guides me, directs me, the fruit of the Spirit, all that stuff. Yeah, that's great, but it also means that you left an enemy's camp because before you place your faith in Christ, you're automatically on the wrong side of that line, okay? And when you said yes to Jesus, you abandoned the enemy's camp, and guess what? A target got placed on your back. Who, me? Yes, you. It's not because of you. Don't think you're all that. It's because of whose you are. You belong to Jesus. You're his covenant people, and just like back in Esther's day, there's an enemy that would love nothing more than to rob God of his glory by messing with God's creation, those created in the image of God. Romans 8.29 says that for those he foreknew, he predestined to become like Christ. What's the goal? To be like Jesus. What are we doing? We're walking in our faith. We're growing. We're, we're, we're being sanctified. And the goal is to be more and more and more like Jesus. You know that, right? God's goal is for us to be sanctified, to be more and more like Christ. And when we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are more and more looking like Jesus, we're bringing more and more glory to God, and Satan hates that. So he would love nothing more than to rob God of his glory by messing with his people. And if he can take your feet out from under you, if he can cause you to live in a way that doesn't bring honor and glory to God, then Satan feels like he wins. But again, listen, we already know who's going to win the war. Amen. I've read the back of the book. But there are many battles along the way. In church, I believe that we need to wake up. I believe we need to recognize our role. What is my role here? What has God got me here for right now? Are we spectators to sit on the sidelines and just watch everything unfold? Or are we going to say, God, why am I here? What is my role? Well, one of those roles is we better realize that we're in a spiritual battle. The line has been drawn in our lives as well. And if you're going to say, I do to Jesus, you're going to say, yes, Jesus, be my, my, my Lord and my Savior, then you have to realize that you have an enemy also. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give life and give it to the fullest. Satan has a, a, a motive, and he wants to destroy um, God's creation. He wants the glory for himself. And so um, the, the why, I think, is simple in the story. Why would, why would we see such a response from Haman to want to destroy all the people? I think it's clear when you look at the big picture and see a darker evil behind this man, Haman. But let us not ignore the fact that we too, as covenant people of God, find ourselves in the same position. So have you ever thought about that every morning when you wake up? When you wake up in the morning, have you ever realized that you're in a, you're in a battle and today's going to be a battle. I'm not talking about Republican versus Democrat or, you know, the Cowboys versus. I'm not talking about the petty stuff. I'm talking about 
There is a spiritual battle that goes on every day in our lives. And we would be wise as followers of Christ to wake up every morning and say, you know what? I need to be battle ready. You know what? I need to armor up because, um, you know what? There's this thing called temptation. There's this thing called spiritual warfare. And if I'm not paying attention, I could very easily become a casualty of one of his devices. You look at his names, names of Satan, and it gives you a clue of his tactics. One of those is deception. Have we not seen a lot of deception in our world today? He's a formidable foe. He knows exactly what he's doing. So I would say how, why do we do it? How do we recognize this? How do we step up into that role and see ourselves here? I think that we need to realize that the battle that we fight is, um, and that the evil that we face is not flesh and blood. I know it's hard for us to wrap our mind around. Sometimes we, it's easy for us to put a name in a face and go evil. And for me, it's George Soros. Sorry if you're a fan, but I'm that dude is wicked. But can I just tell you, he's like a puppet in the grand scheme of things. There's an evil behind persons like him and Stalin and Hitler throughout history, right? So we would be good to recognize not flesh and blood, but to go, you know what, there's an evil behind that. We need to recognize the source. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Guess what? He's got a lot of different schemes. In fact, he knows he's had a lot of practice. He knows what will work against you that won't work against me and vice versa. He knows which bait to throw. He says, put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle. As Christians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Sometimes we put the target there, but it's much greater than that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to recognize the enemy. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 says, for, for though we walk in the flesh, I mean, we're flesh and blood, right? We walk in the flesh. He says, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We don't do battle traditionally. We don't wage war according to the flesh. For we, excuse me, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know what that says to me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? We don't have these weapons of the flesh, but the weapons that we have have divine power to destroy strongholds. So I would say recognize the real enemy and take the focus off of people. And that might be something you need to hear in your family. Or and you're just close knit circle. You got some things you're going through, and you just see this one person, and you're just like, mm, "That's the enemy." Can I just tell you to look, look further? We as followers of Christ need to realize the real enemy, uh, the enemy of our souls, and recognize his tactics. One of the best ways to recognize the tactics of the enemy is to read the field manual. We're soldiers of Christ. God has loved us enough that He's given us everything that we need to know right here. Do you believe this, church? Think about it. I mean, this is how we know that we're in a battle. This is how we, we, we know that, you know, God's got a track record of using people, that he's in control of his, his creation. He uses people. This is how we know that from the beginning all the way to the end, there's this target against the Jews, the, the chosen people of God. This is how we know these things. God loves us enough that he's letting us in the picture. This is how we know how to live a life worthy of the calling, Ephesians chapter 4, that he wants us to live because of what he's done for us. 
This is how he reveals to us the schemes of Satan. Like, hey, watch out for the old devil, the, old, the, old, the guy that tries to trick us all the time. This is what, what sin looks like. This is how we know. And so when we read the word, when we get this word in us, that's how we, we, we understand his tactics. And that's how we become more and more sober. Say sober. So know the truth. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. It's one of my favorite verses. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded and be vigilant or be watchful. Why? Because it says your adversary, this is Peter talking, he's talking to the church, your adversary, church, we have an adversary. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So what is this counsel? Be sober-minded and be vigilant. You know what that means? That means just be aware. Have you ever been taken advantage of like a scheme, you know, a scam? You click on that link in your email that says your, your bank stuff has been um, messed up or compromised, and you're like, oh, no, you click your link, put in your credentials, and bam, identity stolen. I know people that's happened to. Or you use the credit card at the wrong spot, and, and then now your bank calls you, and like you get all these charges, and you're like, what is that coming from? I hate being deceived. The reality is, is we have the ultimate deceiver that is trying every day to knock you and I off of our path. Amen? It's just like a good parent that would say to a kid, hey, listen, you're young in the world, and you need to know the world's a hard place, and, and so we, we teach our kids on, on what to look out for, how to spot a, a phony, a fake, a you know, deceiver, a crook, and we, we teach them all these things, and I think that's the same heart uh, that the apostles had when they gave us this, and it's my heart as a pastor, as I share this with you, is like, hey, we need to be alert. We need to be vigilant Christians every day. You see, followers of Christ that are fall into temptation or they fall to the schemes of the devil and, and Peter just said, simply says be sober minded be vigilant keep your head on a swivel don't walk through life just carelessly much like a soldier would walk through a battlefield carelessly it'll get us injured it'll get us out of the, the, the fight and so we are to be sober minded and watchful and here's the, the beautiful thing I love I love that God and he said, the, the weapons we use are not flesh and blood, but they're mighty. They're powerful. And I'll tell you, the most beautiful gift that he's given to each one of us, the most beautiful tool, if you will, that he's given to us, that is mighty. And the Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The gift of prayer. Do you believe in the power of prayer? I don't know if you noticed yesterday, but yesterday was a great march at Washington on the wall, Washington Mall. Franklin Graham, a few people there, Jonathan Kahn, and there's just thousands of people. It was a, a beautiful sight to see, wasn't it? Praying for the nation. Beautiful. Yesterday in our community, for those that couldn't go, we said, you know what, let's do a prayer walk. And so several different people from different churches gathered, and we all walked around Canyon praying for our schools, our families, our government. Spent a little extra time there. But I believe in prayer. And I believe that the spiritual battles that you and I face, the most powerful weapon that we have is a bent knee to God in prayer. There's power in prayer. Church, can I just tell you, as followers of Christ, we need to recognize our role. We, we need to recognize why are we here for such a time as this, much like Esther. Hey, listen, we're in this cosmic battle. And, and it's not because, you know, well, they're just picking on me. It's who you belong to. We are covenant people of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the enemy would love nothing more 
because he knows he can't get to God. He wants to go after his creation. So be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Recognize our role. The line has been drawn. It's been drawn for years, good and evil. Armando and I were talking in the back earlier, and he reminded me, you know what? You don't have to choose evil. We're, we're born as sinners, right? You're already born on that side of the line. We, we choose salvation, the gospel. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? So we choose to, to cross over the line. I would ask you the question, what side of the line are you on? And my hope would be everybody says, hey, I'm on the, I'm on the, the side of, of, of righteousness. I have placed my faith in Jesus, and so I know I'm not on that side of the line. But can I just appeal to you for a moment, church? Sometimes we as the church don't look like we're on the right side of the line. Sometimes our actions, sometimes our words, sometimes our responses look like we belong to the other side of the line. And that, I think that's the call for us today is to recognize our role. And who knows if maybe God has put you and I here in this season in the middle of all this chaos because he wants to, like he's done throughout all history, use you and me. Do you recognize your role in his great story? So church, I think it's a call to prayer. I think it's a call for us to recognize the big picture and say, God, if you use people and you can use me, then, then let me be busy about focusing on what you want for our country, what you want in my family, what you want in this workplace. And I'm going to be serious about getting on my knees because I know my battles are won on my knees. Why? Because the battle's not mine, it's his, right? Do you believe that today? You know, I was looking through the hymnal this morning, and I was kind of actually searching. How many songs are in our old hymnals that we used to sing all the time that refer to spiritual warfare? You know, mention soldiers or battles or war. Do you know there's like over 270 old hymns of the faith that refer to this cosmic battle, this spiritual battle? And I think that's telling. And I think we as a church would be wise to recognize that, you know, when we get up in the morning and we go about our business, not to, to, to have the blinders on, to be sober, to be vigilant, knowing that we too are in a spiritual battle. But here's the, here's the good news. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when we're battle ready and we know the plans and we know his word and we know what he wants us to do or not do and we like a good soldier follow those orders, I believe that we will be victorious. I don't want to be falling prey to the deceptions of the enemy. And so I want to know him and I want to know his word and I want to live my life in a way that pleases him. And hopefully you today want to do the same. And so how about you? What side of the line are you on? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Listen, can I just tell you in all honesty, there are going to be some great people in this world, like good people, good as gold, but they don't believe in Christ, they've not placed their faith in Christ, they're on the side of evil. Not because they're evil, because they don't have to choose that side. They're there automatically. But for us, when we recognize our sin and our need for salvation and we call out to him for salvation, we repent of our sins, we are transferred from the darkness to the light. Hallelujah for that, right? No longer a slave to sin, we're children of God. And when you're a child of God, you're a covenant people of God, and you're a covenant people of God, be aware, be sober, be vigilant, because our adversary would love nothing more than to cut our feet out from under us. But what would happen, church, if we realized just how serious of times that we're in today? What would happen if we recognized our role that, you know, God uses people and perhaps he wants to use us some way, somehow to influence our culture, to influence our schools? What would happen if we 
recognized our role as um, spiritual warriors. You know, like what? Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. Amen? In heavenly armor, we'll enter the land, the battle belongs to the Lord. What would happen if we really truly understood that we are spiritual warriors in a great cosmic battle, and listen, we win. We win. We know that we win the ultimate war, but there are many battles along the way. And my, I guess my concern, my counsel to each one of us is just be mindful, aware, sober, vigilant in the midst of this thing called life. Because I believe that we're here for a purpose. And who knows if God did not place us here where we're at today for such a time as this. That's purpose. Amen? Father, I thank you that you use people. I thank you that you love us enough that you would send Christ to the earth to die on the sins in our place so that those who trust in you for salvation can have that hope of eternal life, that we could be also your covenant people because of your grace, not our works, Father, that we could live our lives with a hope that one day when it's all said and done, we will be with you for all eternity. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to be aware that there's a line that has been drawn, much like in Esther's story, a line, a difficult one, just a, a great contrast of extreme evil, extreme good. And Father, help us to realize that that same thing is true in our own lives. And as we have placed our faith in you, we're covenant people. And to know that uh, we should, we must recognize our role in the grand scheme of things. We must recognize that we are soldiers in this battle. Too many people walk around or just carelessly without that truth in their minds and, and they become casualties of this spiritual warfare daily. And, and Father, I just ask that you would help us. Lord, realize and redeem the time in this evil world and, and recognize that we do have a voice, recognize that we do have, uh, Lord, this this these weapons of warfare that are not flesh, but they're powerful at bringing down strongholds. Let us recognize that one of the greatest ones you give us is prayer. And Father, for those of us that pray, God, I pray that you put a fervency there. For those of us that used to pray and kind of backed off of that, God, I pray that you would draw us back in and help us to realize just how important that is. And to realize that when we pray in faith, we trust in you and we let you do battle on our behalf that Lord, the greatest battles that we fight, Lord, we fight them on our knees and bring them to you because we believe greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. So, Father, would you make us battle ready? Would you make us aware? Would you make us sober and vigilant? Lord, at the end of the day, for your glory, Lord, it's not about us. We want to bring you honor. We want to bring you glory as we continue to live, Lord, this life and as we continue to reflect, uh, Lord, uh, Christ in our own lives, it brings you much glory. So, Lord, for your glory, we pray these things. Amen.